This is a special call to action to our listeners to financially support this podcast and spread awareness of the Native Plants Dialogue through exclusive Plant Native Nebraska merch at plant-native-nebraska.myspreadshop.com. Wear our designs in your best effort to convert your friends and neighbors, or just simply look cool. Thank you for your continued support in our quest to help Nebraska plant native. Hello, and welcome to the Plant Native Nebraska podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Barlman. If you are new to tuning in, this show is for native plant enthusiasts, aspiring gardeners, suburban homeowners, growers, and thinkers anxious to learn more about growing Native American plants and creating habitat for wildlife. If this sounds like you, you've come to the right place. In today's episode, Demystifying the Native Shade Garden, we go over why we don't need to rely on exotics for these spaces and some native Nebraska plant choices you can inject for some habitat value and beauty in low light areas. Read up on our show notes for more detailed info on today's episode. And catch us this weekend at the Benson Bounty Pollinator Party. Thanks for listening. Today I have an interesting episode for you. We're talking about demystifying the native shade garden. So when people come up to me at events, they're always remarking that planting a native shade garden is the most intimidating thing. They're dying to know what to plant. They have no idea. They need help. They need ideas. There's a very real temptation to rely on exotic standbys for shade. I suppose over time, modern people have started to feel the woods are a very foreign place to be. I get it. So people have much less comfort and imagination in knowing how to simulate these naturalistic wooded areas. If you can't visualize it, you can't often create it, right? That being said, I encourage you guys, if you're listening in, to visit some great wooded places near where you live, where native plants are growing, such as Heron Haven, Fontenelle Forest, Neil Woods, Loritzen Gardens. These, these are all places if you live near the Omaha Metro. Loritzen Gardens, if you haven't been, really great large expansive botanical garden but they do have some really great wooded native areas to get ideas from um font of forest neil woods they're they're a part of a a nature association uh forest system here on the eastern edge of nebraska if you don't live in the omaha metro area there's still places you can visit so you might be able to visit platte river state park Nebraska National Forest, Samuel McKelvey Forest, really a lot of the hiking trail areas in Nebraska have some beautiful wooded areas. You've got areas up near Valentine, you've got the Missouri River Basin near Nebraska City, so it really just depends on where you are. Wherever you are listening in, if if you're listening in from Nebraska, maybe you might even be listening in from other places in the Midwest, find some, some wooded areas near you, maybe it's a hiking or a biking trail, Maybe it's an actual designated forest area or forest association. Go and hike through there and really look around, especially early spring. You'll get some great ideas on what shaded areas look like. 
That being said, instead of knowing what to do, most people have just relied on things like hydrangea, hostas, exotic ferns. That's, those are the common standbys that people usually use. Maybe you might have dipped your feet into more traditional gardening. So you might have heard of things like lamium, pachysandra as a ground cover, coral bells, hellebore or lenten rose, which is always in Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Bleeding Hearts, Astilbe, Coleus, Lily of the Valley, Brunera, I mean, you name it, right? These are plants that have been sold for decades at nurseries. So when you say, when you, when you go into a local nursery, and I'm not talking about like a native plant nursery, I'm just talking about, you know, a nursery nursery, a traditional nursery, and you say, hey, what do you got for shade gardens? They're not going to be offering you anything that that isn't one of these things that I've named like those are all the very traditional standbys of things now if you are on this journey to learn more about native Nebraska plants and you have these things still somewhere in your garden we're not saying you're a bad person we don't believe I, I don't believe that a garden can't have room for these sorts of plants if they're sentimental to you. If your Nana's Nana's best friend, you know, gave them a, a lily of the valley and and it and it's up in a, a little concrete edged garden bed, like I'm not going to judge you, okay? But I think what's exciting is that now people are starting to realize these plants aren't the only plants for shade. Like, that's actually a lie. Like, these aren't the only plants for shade. We are, we are seeing that this, what we were being offered was just what was popular to sell for a really long time. So now, collectively, we're relearning what's happy here, what really belongs here, what really historically has been growing here and feeds bees and birds and all sorts of critters and is also lovely. The case for native plants, we won't make this extensively again today. If you haven't already listened to episodes in our podcast, you can go back and listen to episode one, breaks down what native plants even are, why they're important. And, and then again, through, through our other episodes, we're kind of revisiting like, why should people care? Why are native plants important? well, what's the value of these native plants anyway? We, we visit that over and over. So if you haven't already been exposed to that kind of dialogue, go ahead and just stop right here and go back and listen to episode one. It'll be really, really beneficial at explaining the whys of, of the native plants dialogue. To sum it up, mainly native plants are valuable for two main reasons. They provide habitat value and they are built to survive in the local environment. Also, another thing to note is that exotic shade plants are much more expensive to buy and to replace. So plant breeders and researchers have tried to find ways to make the, the shade of the rainbow for every sort of plant you can think of. So they're trying to make flocks that are red and orange and yellow and green. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? Um, they want to have such variety in each and every single plant. And it's just not natural. Variety is 
having a bunch of different things coexist together. Like that's what diversity really is. It's not taking one singular thing and trying to to artificially create all these these different ways that that one thing could possibly have a wildly different quality. Diversity is is respecting the natural diverseness in the plants in their wild state and and putting them together in a garden where they can play together. My my personal dislike for most of the traditional choices for a shade garden is that everything is kind of one note when it comes to height. So I myself like taller plants. Um, I'm kind of that crazy lady who, who wants to have that wild looking garden at the end of the block. Like that's me, okay? So I know not everybody is that person. That being said, you know, traditional gardening, it seems like gardeners were really, really taught to believe that that anything taller than two feet is out of control. A lot of these plants that I named off, they're they're one or two feet tall and, and that's it. Like there's not a lot of traditional plants that are that are three and four and five and six and seven feet tall. So what I love ab about these these native woodland plants that we're gonna be talking about is is you do have a diversity in height. You have you, you have ground covers that are a foot or two tall, and you have some perennials that are two and three feet tall, and, and then you've got some perennials that are five and six feet tall. And, and I think that's really great to be able to play around with height because, to me, a naturalistic-looking landscape is one that, that does kind of put those, those heights mixed in together to an extent. You know, you you can stick to the traditional mindset where, where you put the taller plants in the back and you put the shorter plants in the front, but you can also have a little bit of variety to make it feel a little more naturalistic. And I do like playing with that myself. So so one thing I love about about getting into that comfort zone where it's like, okay, we're gonna experiment with some native wild plants, is you're kind of, you're taking that very, very strict range. Like, I will only accept plants between zero and 2.5 feet tall and that's it. And when you expand that range up a bit and you say, you know what? This says it's five feet tall. This says it's six feet tall. I'm not gonna be horrified about that. I'm not going to be terrified. I'm going to I'm going to plant this and and we're going to see we're going to see. Because in my case, um, on the north side of my house, I planted sweet joe pie weed and I planted a shade rudbeckia called wild golden glow and it is awesome. And I mean they're 5 feet tall. Sometimes 6 feet tall in a good year. So I, maybe they're seven feet tall. I, to be honest, like maybe I'm, maybe I'm lying to myself. Maybe they're seven feet tall, but they are awesome. When you see them fully blooming together, it's just so special. And it makes a little private space. You know, a lot of these shady areas of our gardens are kind of, you know, in a, in a more forgotten area or an area that's more tucked away somewhere. And and I think that we shouldn't forget about these taller plants. We shouldn't think that tall plants are scary because they can create some really great and beautiful privacy 
in the backs of our properties. So uh, again, I, I get very excited when I, when I'm discovering, you know, things that might have seemed scary to me in the beginning are actually awesome, like the opposite of scary. Um, tall plants continue to pique my interest. I think it's fun now because we can start talking about some of this stuff. Um, I want to clarify, you know, in a shade garden, you have some full shade areas, right? Where direct sunlight, really not touching them at all. And then you have partially shaded areas. What I, when I talk to people about partially shaded areas, I always use the terms dappled shade because I think that makes sense. When, when we're talking about a shade garden, you know, we're not talking about, you know, a sunny area because there's, there's often talk of full sun gardens, partial sun gardens, and then they kind of go the other way when they're talking about shade gardens, right? They'll say full shade, partial shade, but I like to use the terms dappled shade because I think people can really visualize oh yeah like that part of the garden where uh, they're under trees but then you know the lights coming through the trees and and i can see you know during certain times of the day the light is getting in there that's the areas we're going to be talking about when we're talking about partial shade or when we talk about partial shade we're talking about those edges of your shade garden where you really, depending on how your property lines are and, and, and how your property is laid out, maybe you drift really far, you know, far north, and then once you go as far, you know, north, then it's, okay, we're in the sun again. Or, you know, maybe we're continuing to go west, and then, oh, we're in the sun again now. Or we're continuing to go east, okay, we're in the sun again now. So it's kind of like those buffer zones between, you know, where the sun is hitting and and where the sun is definitely not hitting. Those buffer zones are gonna be good areas for these part shade plants or dappled shade plants. For full shade, these are areas where direct sunlight is not hitting these areas really at all, if ever. So the things that are gonna thrive there, things like snake root, um, you'll see this one growing wild in the woods all the time. I love going to North Omaha or going to Fontenot Forest or just sometimes going to people's weedy backyards um, because you will see snake root growing and it's got delicate white flowers, almost similar to the way, if you've ever seen blue mist flower, uh, very similar to that flower, but it's white. It's just very frilly and small and delicate. And I think it's a great plant. I don't understand why people will spend hundreds of dollars spraying this stuff or ripping it out of their woodland properties because I just think it's awesome. Columbine, and the Columbine we're talking about is, is not a cultivated um, European fancy colored Columbine. We're talking about American Columbine. So these have sweet little red and yellow bell shaped flowers. They're happy little flowers. They like to self-seed. They, they will come up uh, in little areas in between other things. They, they don't get very large. They, they stay very small. They're very humble. They don't ask for much. 
So, you know, if you plant one or two or three of them, eventually you'll have six or seven and then eight or nine. And, and they, don't do, they don't go crazy, you know, they don't bully anything. They just kind of show up and, and then deposit themselves happily in between other things. There is a milkweed for shade. So I was talking to Nancy Cruz, and she's the director over at Milkweed Matters, which is a nonprofit here in, in the, the Omaha metro area. And she was telling me, yes, there, there actually is a shade milkweed called poke milkweed. And that was unbeknownst to me um, just this year. So I'm like, okay, well, I for one, I need to put that somewhere in one of my shade gardens that I'm working on. And two, I need to tell people <laughs> that it, that it exists because uh, if I don't, if I still, after years of doing the native plants thing, still don't know about poke milkweed, I'm sure other people don't either. Uh, Sweet Joe pieweed, I did talk about that one just a minute ago. Um, it, it's tall, it's gorgeous, it's unusual, looks great next to Wild Golden Glow. If you don't have those growing somewhere, if, 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 you, if you have a room in your heart to allow some tall plants in your shade garden, definitely plant those too. Uh, another interesting perennial plant for the full shade garden, wild blue phlox. Uh, so the, the Latin name is Phlox divaricata. It's amazing blue in nature. Blue is very, very rare in nature. You won't find it a lot unless if it's been crazily engineered by some mad scientist working for a very expensive plant nursery, you get this blue in nature from Phlox divaricata. Um, the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum did sell uh, a pretty similar cultivar to Phlox divaricata, was a uh, Louisiana blue. You don't need to buy the cultivar, just buy the straight native. I mean, granted, you know, if, if you wanna, if you wanna experiment and you wanna do some citizen science in, in your backyard and you wanna plant some Phlox divaricata that's the wild type and, and you want to go and in another place plant the Louisiana blue and, and compare how many pollinators visit each like go for it I'm all for that that's cool but just know that you know with wild type plants you're going to get maximum benefit out of out of their ability to be used uh, and host pollinators the plant expert might know better than me and, and tell you the intricacies of of the Louisiana blue or how the Louisiana blue was maybe even found in a trial bed somewhere. Um, but just know the straight native, absolutely gorgeous on its own, doesn't need a cultivar. Um, if you've ever heard of Solomon's seal, there's a series of plants um, that, that have that similar look. Uh, Solomon's seal Solomon's plume, starry Solomon's plume. Um, as the name kind of indicates, the Solomon's plume, the flowers look more like that traditional upright floral sort of shape, whereas the Solomon's seal, you know, has those flowers that look more of more like that exotic lily of the valley where they're those downturned white bells. Wild garlic. So uh, you might already know if, if you're into vegetable gardening, garlic and onion are in the allium family. So we have a sweet native allium called allium canadense. So this is the wild garlic. Um, 
these these garlic flowers they're very dainty they're very delicate um, it's just a sweet little allium that can that can grow in between other things there's shade goldenrods which is always a surprise to people on a guided hike or when I'm talking to people at events especially when I'm talking to people at the seed share and the plant share we have every year yes there are goldenrods that grow in the shade so zigzag goldenrod elm leaf goldenrod um, just fantastic I mean you, you obviously don't get the very dramatic yellow blooms that you do with the goldenrods that are that are sun that are sun oriented goldenrods but you do still get very unique yellow flowers that look really really great next to these other you know a lot of shade flowers are white uh, or you know that kind of pale bluish purple so yellow is gonna really really pop next to next to those two and golden rods are just fantastic I want to own every single golden rod there is but there is also another golden rod called blue stemmed golden rod I don't believe that one is native to Nebraska uh, it's I believe that one's regionally native so that's another one you could use in the shade for asters asters are another popular plant um, that a lot of people know about that plant family so you know traditional gardeners may have a lot of asters or cultivars of asters in their gardens um, these two asters I'm talking about today uh, they're made for the shade so heartleaf aster that's one that I've planted on the north side of my garage where there's no direct sunlight at all and they look fantastic they look healthy they're three feet tall, they're vibrant, their foliage looks great, the flowers are gorgeous, um, and you would never ever know that they grow in complete shade, like that they're growing in complete shade. Drummond's Aster, that's one I, I haven't planted in my garden myself. Um, that's one that I'm going to be trying soon to compare it to the other Asters. And there's, there's even wild mint um, wild mint it's it's not gonna bloom in the shade like it does in the Sun um, but it is a great ground cover it smells awesome it's a little aggressive so just know if you plant you know one four inch pot of wild mint or you know whatever pot you're able whatever size pot you're able to find of wild mint locally you know you're you can plant one plant and if if you let it do its thing you let it go for you know a year or two you're gonna have a, a six foot by six foot spread of wild mint um, you know something similar to that so so just know it's it's great for like a neglected area where you know maybe your maybe your goal is just to turn turf grass into something that isn't turf grass that would be a great plant to start a new bed with because um, it's going to cover a lot of ground on its own. There's sedges, so we have Carex brevier, Carex ebernia, Carex sprangli. Um, they have common names too. I'm just using the Latin name because uh, honestly I'm not too familiar with the common name. Um, with the sedges I just I tend to just use the Latin because um, then it's like it's very clear which one I'm talking about. 
Um, and, and that's honestly the case with a lot of native plants. When you use the Latin and learn the Latin, it's very, very clear which one you're talking about. Because otherwise it's like, oh yeah, the, uh, the, the black-eyed Susan. Um, you know, but when you say Rebecca, you know, Lansonata or whatever, it's very, very clear. Oh, no, that's the one they're talking about. Um, so definitely kind of, I'm also encouraging you to maybe expand your comfort zone at, um, at trying your hand at learning the Latin, at least in your head, even it's, it's okay if you don't say it right. I'm sure I don't say a lot of, a lot of this stuff right either. And, and that's okay because it's very, it's a very foreign antiquated language to us. And, uh, and it's okay. If, if you kind of start to know in your head, which one you're talking about, like, that's, that's great. Like, that's really, like, the point. So it's okay. Um, for grasses, there's bottle brush grass. There's silky wild rye. I should go back and say about the sedges, um, Bob Henriksen, like, really, really pushes the sedges. He loves them. And I get why. They're very versatile. Sedges are one of those. A lot of sedges can, they can tolerate a wide range of conditions. So if, if you're really uneasy and you're like, well, this is kind of a full shade area, but, or is it a dapple shade? I don't really, I mean, sedges are one of those good ones where they're versatile and, and they'll probably be happy. Like it'll probably be okay. And I love sedges because they, they've got these sweet little heads on the top that are kind of almost in between a flower and, you know, what a grass seed head looks like. They've got these unique little tops, these unique little seed heads, and provide some contrast against these different plants, you know, the wildflowers and the different grasses and the ephemerals and stuff. Um, but going back to grasses, there's bottle brush grass. Bottle brush grass is a bit taller. Uh, there's silky wild rye. Bottle brush grass, uh, you know, it's, it gets its name from from the from the the bottle brush appearance. Uh, the spring ephemerals you can use bloodroot, jack in the pulpit. If if you go on a guided hike um, or or something similar, these guides they're they're going to be pointing out in the spring the blood the bloodroot and the jack in the pulpit because those are two very very important plants in in the woodland you know plant system so they're going to be pointing those out to you they're also two kind of unusual plants uh, ground covers there there's a wide range of ground covers you can use so if if you're looking for something that's going to take up a bit more space foliage wise. Um, or something that maybe even looks a bit more traditional, wild ginger, the way to go. Um, looks really great wrapped around, you know, smaller trees. Um, it's got these beautiful, large, heart-shaped leaves. Just fantastic. The flowers themselves are inconspicuous, so we might not see them very clearly, but the pollinators are going to find them. Um, they're, they're kind of unusual looking flowers. So if you get a moment, um, after you listen to this episode and you've got some time, look up wild ginger flowers cause, cause they look different. <laughs> Those are not a traditional looking flower, but they are definitely good for the pollinators that rely on them. Common blue violet, that is a more traditional ground cover. 
And what's really great about violet, one thing that's really great about violets is the, the flowers are edible, so you can you can make those uh, fancy candied violet cupcakes if you'd like. But also what's really great about violets is, is they're kind of prolific. They're, they're very prolific at, at seeding themselves and filling in densely. So, you know, say you're, you've got some violets that have filled in and you're going to put a perennial in, you can literally take your, your shovel, like a small hand shovel, and, and you can scrape off maybe like a three inch by three inch you know, square where you're gonna put your little teeny tiny four inch potted plant in. And you know, look in your hand and see that maybe there's, there's something like 20 little um, rooted violets there. And I just think that's really cool that in such a small space, this thing can densely seed itself um, and be such an efficient ground cover. And what's really great about that too is, you know, if you do something like that where it's like, oh, I just took up a bunch of violets or whatnot, you just take each one of those little corms or whatever they're called and you just dig a little one inch hole somewhere else and you just pop those babies right in and they're really hardy. Like, I mean, you'd really have to like you know, be doing this in like 105 degree weather and not water it for them to not make it. Because a lot of them, a lot of them you do transplant somewhere, they will make it. Wild strawberries, another great ground cover. Um, wild strawberries, edible. And uh, it's not the mock strawberry that people are really convinced is wild strawberry. So, you know, people are like, oh, no, 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 I've got wild strawberry. I got that grown in my yard. That thing is weedy as heck. Um, what they're really talking about is called mock strawberry. The leaves of mock strawberry, the foliage of mock strawberry, are about half the size of the leaves of wild strawberry, true wild strawberry. Also, when the plant flowers, you can come, they flower a, a little bit about the same time. I want to, I want to say that wild strawberry blooms a little bit before mock strawberry. But wild strawberry has very clear white flowers, and they're a little bit larger than the flowers of mock strawberry. And mock strawberry have these little yellow flowers. So again, um, if you're convinced that, that wild strawberry is the weed you got growing in your yard, you're probably wrong. It's probably mock strawberry, and it's okay. We've all been there. Like, we're, we're all learning. Um, but wild strawberry will get little edible strawberries on it. Um, and they, again, the, the, I guess another way to tell um, the difference between wild strawberry and mock strawberry is the fruit that forms on the mock strawberry is so incredibly tiny. It's maybe like, I don't even know, a quarter of an inch, an eighth of an inch. It's, it's very, very tiny. When you get fruit on your wild strawberry, which you inevitably will, um, they are much larger and they really truly resemble a small strawberry. So these strawberries are edible, uh, plus for us, but they're also edible to mice or birds or whatever other critters might find wild strawberries palatable. There's wild geranium. Again, geranium is another traditional garden plant that's used, but this is our wild geranium maculatum. Um, it makes a great ground cover. It's got very delicate periwinkle colored flowers, just very traditionally beautiful, a good one to use in the shade garden. 
another one, like in the in the sense of Bloodrood and Jack in the Pulpit being very, very true to, you know, the natural ecosystem, May Apple, another great native woodland plant to put in the garden. A little unusual. Interesting. I, I maybe I shouldn't use the word unusual because honestly when I say unusual to me that's interesting. Uh, fascinating maybe. A lot of people will go and and they'll they'll go hiking through the woods specifically just to find the May apple. Um, so that should be encouraging to you. If you haven't already heard that one, look it up. Um, consider adding it because it's a really great one to grow in dry shade under trees. Uh, moving on though, perennials for dappled shade areas that can you can experiment with. Um, so these are areas where you know you kind of start venturing into a little bit sunnier of territory. I'm not talking about sunny sunny, I'm talking about that kind of buffer zone in between shade and sun. So areas where there's trees overhead and the light is dappled or where you're slowly and gradually making that tris transition between full shade and sunny area. Anise hyssop smells like licorice. Um, absolutely awesome, beautiful flower. Uh, forms a nice tasteful colony that doesn't get too tall. Can be used, you know, medicinally. That's a great plant. Uh, Allium cernum, um, the nodding, I believe the common name is wild nodding onion or nodding wild onion. Um, the flowers look a lot different from the wild garlic. They, they're more, I don't want to say droopy, but it's, it's kind of like a, a collapsed globe. If you ever see those alliums that they've got a very, They've got a very tight, strict, you know, rounded globe of flowers. The Allium cernum is really true to its name, nodding. You know, it's kind of like if that globe were to collapse a little and, and kind of nod off to the side. You'll look up a picture of it and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. That's a really cool one to use in a dappled shade area. Dogbane or dogsbane, I can never remember which one it actually is. Um, that's a great one to use looks a lot like milkweed. Uh, for years I actually thought it was a kind of milkweed because I didn't know any better. It, it will grow in dappled shade. I, I believe this one on my property even grows in like full, full shade and flowers. Um, I've got it growing up behind my shed where the light of day never reaches. So that would be a good one to use. But true to its name, if you've got dogs that are tearing up into your yard and, and eating all sorts of things they should be eating, um, dog, dog bane is probably not the one to plant. Penstemon digitalis. You might have heard of Husker Red Penstemon. My friend Nancy Scott tells me all the time, whenever anyone is selling Husker Red Penstemon, it's not even the true Husker Red Penstemon, and, and there's a story behind that. Um, but Penstemon digitalis is the straight native. Um, it's a very tasteful, traditionally beautiful Penstemon or, or beard tongue, um, if you're more familiar with the common name, beard tongue. Um, just traditional, upright, uh, very tasteful plant. Gets about two and a half, three feet tall, and very wonderful, tasteful white flowers that pollinators and hummingbirds love. 
really any of the native penstemons you could plant in a shade garden. A lot of the penstemons just tolerate shade really, really well. So showy beard tongue uh, would be another one. But if you go to a native plant nursery and they've got some of the other regionally native penstemon like penstemon hirsutus or, you know, any other of the penstemons they'd be selling, you'd be good to experiment with that in your shade garden. Same with mountain mints. Um, so there's hairy mountain mint, Virginia mountain mint, common mountain mint, any of the mountain mints that you would find in your local native plant nursery. You can't go wrong there. Um, they smell great. They can be used medicinally. And pollinators absolutely love mountain mint. They go nuts on the stuff. So great, engaging, wonderful plant. All around, just there's like you can't find anything wrong with mountain mint. Um, if you don't like it, I don't understand you as a person. I just don't. Golden Alexander, that's another one of those versatile plants that it can tolerate sun or shade. Um, I think it's a great choice for a partially shaded area of the garden. It's got these upright, prolific, golden umbrals. Um, just fantastic. But that being said, this is one of those plants where I will forgive you if you cut this one down in the fall and you leave all your other plants to spring to cut back. Um, I will forgive you if you cut down Golden Alexander in the fall because it's real time to shine is spring and summer and then once we kind of start edging into late summer it's not looking its best so if you feel like you got to cut that one down to three inches go ahead and and don't be scared or worry about that it's going to come back next year uh, moving on to shrubs for dappled shade you can use prairie nine bark just stay away from the red foliage cultivars they're not worth it um there's been research that, you know, when these plants are cultivated to have more red foliage, they have a pigment that, that basically makes them unpalatable to the insects that, that you know, they, they're designed to feed. So um, just just get the, the wild type nine bark, the, the common prairie nine bark. Elderberry is a great shrub. Um, that's another one that, that's got medicinal qualities to it. If you've ever had elderberry jam or elderberry syrup, um, now there's a big fad in medicine where there's like elderberry cough drops and elderberry supplements and and hippie elderberry cough syrup and stuff. Um, so you can save yourself a lot of money and just plant a wild elderberry shrub in your garden and eventually start using the berries for your own purposes. That being said, um, when you start using these plants for their edible qualities make sure you double check and you're doing your due diligence and research and making sure that if if these berries or these plant parts need to be cooked or otherwise you know prepared before they're eaten or before they're used uh, make sure you're you're doing that and and that you know what the what the recommendations and what the research is there because you know for whatever reason in nature it's a weird thing, isn't it? Where like the leaves will be toxic, but the flowers will be edible or the berries will be edible if cooked and nutritious and full of antioxidants, but totally poisonous if they're not cooked. I don't know why that is. Maybe some scientist out there uh, is, is an expert on that stuff and could totally tell us right now why that is. I don't know why that is. I do know that if you're going to start to like forage your own garden, you're going to use anything, 
edible or to make a tea, please, please, please do your research before you do that to make sure that we're good to go on safety. Uh, coral berry, that's another great plant. It forms a nice little stand. So if you've got like a hillside or you've got a wooded area where you wouldn't mind something just to take off a little bit and make its own cute little colony, coral berry, awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, button bush, this was one that surprised me. So I had no idea that button bush could grow in the shade. I feel like all the literature says to grow it in full sun, um, but mine happily growing alongside my sunroom and light does not directly touch it ever. So from my experience, this is one I'm recommending for you to try, um, mostly to prove to me that I'm not crazy. Uh, so please, if you've got a shady area, grow some button bush and come find me in an event and, and tell me I'm not crazy that it's growing for you in full shade too. Um, but honestly, that's all I have for today. I was just really wanting to touch on this topic of shade gardens and kind of like taking that mysterious quality out of them so that they feel more accessible to people especially people who are learning more about native plants and trying to get more comfortable with this native plants mindset. I hope you stay tuned uh, over the next few months when, when we get more experts on to talk about different topics and the native plants dialogue. But it's been fun. Take care and thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Plant Native Nebraska podcast. If you need notes on anything mentioned in today's episode, check our website, plant-native-nebraska.captivate.fm for more info. I want you to know you've made this podcast special just by listening in, but if you found real value in today's talk, you can both financially support future episodes and dive deeper into the topics we share by finding us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash plant-native-nebraska. Thanks for listening. I also wanted to add a special call to action for our listeners, as we are still in need of volunteers to help renovate the Trailhead Rain Garden in Bellevue. You can visit our Plant Society's webpage at bellevuenativeplants.org, click on the annual schedule tab, and scroll down to find the Trailhead Rain Garden workdays. See you there. And as always, thanks for listening.